Welcome to the Mar Experience. My name is Matt Shebb. In this episode, I speak with a Mar alum who came through the program in 2015. He talks with me about the process of coming to realize the extent that his disease had affected himself and his family. He also discusses how he almost lost his job, how the work he did at Mar helped him to reunite with his wife, and how he now returns to work with current clients as a volunteer multiple times a week. What was going on with you in the years leading up to to Mar? Were you in the hotel business then? Yeah, so I work for uh, I work for Intercontinental Hotels Group, which owns Holiday Inns amongst other brands, and I've now been working there for thirty plus years. It'll be thirty one years this wow. summer, uh, and I work in franchising, so. Uh, I travel a lot. I work with prospective franchisees to talk about them having a Holiday Inn Express Mm. or a Holiday Inn as the brand for their hotel versus a Hampton Inn or Mm -hmm. a Comfort or something like that. So as it ties back to Mar, uh, so as part of that, there's there's social responsibilities, there's drinking responsibilities. Yeah. but I was drinking a long time before I worked for Holiday Inns, and you know, I my alcoholism goes back probably to mm, I don't know uh, when you want to say it started, but it could be 15 when mm-hmm. I first started drinking, or mm-hmm. it could be when I was in college at IU when I first started binge drinking and yeah. and blacked out. Yeah. Uh, so you could pick your relevant time periods where it was evident, but uh, it was still. Uh, it still wasn't bad until it got bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after I got to Atlanta, uh, I lived here for several years, and then I eventually got married and married uh, a wonderful lady uh, who was a flight attendant at Delta, and we have two sons. Uh, but I was uh, in control of my drinking, quote-unquote, uh, through most of that period uh, until it got uh, out of control. And so I don't know... Matt, when the lines cross and yeah. when you decide uh, uh, it isn't something that uh, is acceptable anymore, I think other people help you decide that because you usually can't see it yourself. It, you don't realize what you don't realize how deep you are and how far you have gone until your consequences uh, are in your face, mm-hmm. and then you have no choice but to to deal with it and. Usually when you have to deal with it, uh, there's a whole period of, I don't really want to deal with it, and I would rather not deal with it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm not going to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, right. So, so what um, were those consequences starting to look like for you? Uh, so I guess we should I guess we should then play the timeline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let, let's do that. So um, I think that my, my drinking... Uh, really started to escalate and get out of control. I had a younger sister uh, named who uh, she was alcoholic. She had other uh, really serious problems. She was bulimic uh, and she was a year younger than me. And all of her problems escalated to where she, uh, she finally accidentally or not took a bunch of pills and died in January of 2011. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, uh, uh, my whole mindset turned pretty dark. So I had been drinking at that point. If I started drinking, say it was, uh, 
a freshman in college where it was started to be heavy. So that's 1979. Mm -hmm. So that's 2011. So that's already... You've been at it for a while. Yeah, that's already 32 years mm -hmm. or something like that at that point in time. So at uh, that point, it would change a little bit from bringing beer home, you know, to bringing handles of Kettle One and drinking wine before coming home and then drinking vodka after I got home. Uh, and the other thing that always happened to me that also escalated is I would drink uh, as part of my work routine and when I traveled. And so I would selectively manage who I traveled with and uh, travel with my best drinking buddies. But that all escalated too. And, uh, you know, my wife was tolerating it. Uh, my sons were tolerating it, but not really. Um, they weren't really... They weren't really able to to bring it to a head with me because I continued to hold my job. I continued mm -hmm. to answer the bell in the morning. I would get up and go to work. Mm -hmm. I would uh, overtly or on the surface appear to be quote unquote okay. Uh, so you play the tape forward. I think it was uh, February of twenty six or twenty fifteen, and that was the year I went to Mar. Uh, and I were on a, a work trip that was an incentive trip that happened every year. And this one happened to be in Napa. And I went over the line again. This wasn't particularly new, but got publicly drunk at a work function, blacked out. And uh, at that point, Robin said, uh, I can't live with this anymore. And then worse, there were other people that I work with who intervened and actually used uh, the third-party track in my company to say, you need to go and pursue help or your employment is going to be terminated. So uh, at that point, I had, to, I had to go through a whole testing program. I ended up in Ridgeview. Uh, I would think I was right on the edge of being committed into inpatient versus I talked my way into outpatient. Mm -hmm. So I then did the outpatient program for 10 weeks, mm -hmm. which is comprised of going over there every night, uh, four nights a week for three and a half hours. I didn't drink during that period. They're testing you. So I was clean, quote unquote, for 11 or 12 weeks, something mm -hmm. like that, which is the longest time I would have uh, been sober in 30 some years. Mm -hmm. So the pattern before that, Matt, was uh, when my annual physical would come up, I would uh, manage around my annual physical to try to pass the liver test. Oh, okay. So, right. <laughs> uh, so that would look something like, uh, well, I need to quit drinking for, I don't know, two, three weeks. Sure. A month would be preferable, though I probably didn't really do that. Yeah. Uh, and then that would bring the liver enzymes down to where they were still over, and I would get warned and lectured, but, right. uh, but then they would kind of let go, and then I'd go back to it. So... Anyway, uh, after I did Ridgeview and did the outpatient thing, um, I didn't drink for a while after that. So that's now moving from February 2015 to April. Um, and I think it was mid-April 2015, uh, one of my longtime friends that I had gone to college at Indiana with, uh, uh, who we spoke every few days. We were roommates, basketball fans, mm -hmm. did all all kinds of stuff together and we drank together. Uh, 
I got news that he had passed away from drinking mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Uh, so I was asked to speak at his funeral, which I did. Uh, and I think shortly after that, uh, I said, well, I can have a glass of wine. That won't be any problem. And it started then to recycle with my work experience guys and going to work events and having some wine. But then it went right back uh, to wine plus vodka to blackout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it was another couple of weeks after that in early May, I was out in a, a, a work event in Las Vegas, great place uh, for an alcoholic. Yeah. And so I think it was a trade show event. And so I thought it was a good idea to get into my mini bar in my room and I think drink both bottles of the mini bottles of wine in the mini bar. Yeah. And then I went to the trade show and got busted by my work counterparts as being drunk again publicly. And so then uh, when I went back home, I wasn't welcome back home. Uh, I took a 90-day leave of absence. Mm -hmm. My wife researched inpatient programs because the relapse had been so severe. And she was the one who identified MAR. Okay. So then I entered MAR after detoxing uh, up in Alpharetta. Uh, I think it was the end of May 2015. Okay. So had you tried, you, you, you'd mentioned for those physical exams, you would stop for maybe three weeks or maybe a month tops. Maybe. Um, would, were you, um, going to AA or doing anything like that or you just do it on your own? No, I wasn't going to anything. And I actually, I, you know, looking back on it, uh, when I first went to Ridgeview, uh, just to be quote unquote tested, I didn't know I didn't know what AA was. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't know the structure. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know what the twelve steps were. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't realize that as part of this deal that it was going to be you will never drink again, or, or I mean that's your choice. Yeah. Uh, at least uh, if, as you go down that path. So. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing the outpatient at Ridgeview, this was all 100% new to me. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't understand the chip system. I didn't understand that that was the underlying heartbeat of, yeah. of their program as well. And right. I certainly didn't understand that that was how it was going to also work at Mar. You know, I was piecing that part together. What, what was your kind of initial impressions of, of AA? <sighs> Boy, let me think about that. I guess the first AA meeting I went to, uh, would have been when I was doing the Ridgeview outpatient program. They said, go to the Saturday morning Ridgeview meeting. And I go in there, I'm remembering this, you know, as we're talking about it. And I was like, holy, you got to be kidding me. Uh, because it was extremely, uh, no holds barred. Uh, it, most of the people at Ridgeview are, uh, are very, I mean, they're not in recovery. They're, they're, uh, they're still pretty active. So it was, uh, it was like, geez, I do not know what I've even gotten myself into here. And I'm one of these alcoholics that thinks I can control everything like many of us. And so I was like, how did I let this happen to me? So I certainly didn't see AA or, or the AA structure of the first meeting I went to is going to be something that was going to help me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then after that, I got a list because as part of the outpatient program, you have to go to AA meetings. Uh, 
So I got a list of clubhouses, and I went to the 8111 Clubhouse on Roswell Road, mm-hmm. which is in Sandy Springs in Atlanta. Uh, and I still go there to this day. I mm-hmm. met my sponsor there. And so that softened the feel of AA comparably to the first thing I went to at Ridgeview. And... Uh, started to hear people speak about what their experience stories were and uh, particularly liked what my sponsor, it wasn't what he said, it was how he said it uh, and saw things that were parallel and in common with myself. What do you mean by that? What he said, how he said it? It was his tone. It was his openness. It was uh, his frankness. it was that he didn't necessarily posture uh, uh, himself as the person who was the reason that mm-hmm. he was uh, uh, finding a road to stay sober. I mean, yeah. that was the first idea of being introduced to a spiritual solution, mm-hmm. which was utterly foreign to me. Um so, so where was that in the timeline of, was that before you came to Mar? Yeah. When you, okay. Yeah. I actually met Brian. Uh, so when I was at Ridgeview, uh-huh. uh, so then after I relapsed, you know, uh, I guess he says I fired myself. So I quit contacting him. And then after I came back t- into Mar impatient, I made contact with him and, and refilled in what happened and mm-hmm. he took me back as good sponsors will mm-hmm. so. so when was that that you that you ended up coming to mar finally so that was the end of may 2015 like may 28th okay right about memorial day okay yeah. gotcha so what was going on for you in terms of like having to go to a place for 90 days like was it like my wife's blowing this way out of proportion? This isn't going to help. What 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 was kind of the inner dialogue that was going yeah, on? Yeah. So um, again, I'm just thinking about that as we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that actually first happened. Uh, so we came in and talked to Mar, and and I was you know as wet as the ocean, and uh, they said you got a detox, man. So it really first happened when we went to Sunrise, uh, and I don't think. We're really realized my wife what we were doing because uh sunrise the detox process there was you check in and uh you ain't checking out and i think i was there five nights six nights something like that Mm -hmm. and uh you know uh they said goodbye he's here and she's kind of looking at me and uh you know, this was awkward because I'd been living in a hotel because it was like, you're not coming home until you get help. Uh, but still, we didn't really realize what impatient really was going to look like. And then I went straight from sunrise here. Uh, I didn't go home for a night. I mean, we literally threw a bunch of stuff in a bag and then I came here. Some A staff member picked you up or something? I like think that. actually transitioned me, uh-huh. but there was no... I mean, No going home. And, no. Yeah. There was no time. It was like, bang. Okay. And I don't think, uh, I think at that point she had probably gotten her head around what uh, Metro Atlanta Recovery Residences was going to do. Uh-huh. Uh, but I really didn't. I mean, I, uh, Doug Brush, who's our guy here, I mean, he likes to tell the story of there I am sitting in the front lobby with my phone and I'm like trying to figure out all the people I need to tell that I'm going to be out of commission for the next 90 days, be they work people or family or so there wasn't a lot of pre 
uh, trepidation because I didn't really figure out mm-hmm. what the heck it was going to be. So what's going through your mind then when you're trying to piece when you when you're finally piecing that all together? You're in the waiting room. I was beat down enough, uh, humiliated enough, uh, destroyed enough that I knew that I had you know, been exposed. Mm -hmm. I knew I had, uh, in my mind blown it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had already been outed at work and put into one program. Mm -hmm. I had done that program, been patted on the back and then relapsed. Yeah. So, and then I'd had to declare 90 day, uh, a 90 day leave of absence myself. Yeah. Uh, and the only reason that they accepted that was because I'd been there forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I'd probably been fired on the spot. So wow, yeah. So I guess at that point, I knew that uh, I knew I was an alcoholic. Had known that for a long time. Uh, I knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, which was literally drinking to blackout every single night, mm-hmm. uh, and. I, I knew that uh, I knew I couldn't go back and fix it. So I really didn't know what I was getting into with Mar. I did not know what uh, <laughs> I did not know that it was going to be a recovery based in communities. I didn't know I was going to be living with these people. I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. But I also knew what was behind me was dead. Yeah, I'd killed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had dead killed it. So I was out of options. So you, you, yeah, you were just kind of at the point where I guess I'll do this because I don't have any. I, I have no choice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what, what were those initial days like in the, in the, com- settling into the community and all that? Hmm. You know, I, a lot of guys say they don't remember a lot of the first couple of weeks that you're settling into Mar or you're just getting here. As it's like, I would, I would say that's probably true. Uh, the the structure is really important in Mar because structure is really important in combating alcoholism. So mm-hmm. you you kind of fall into the routine of the structure which is meeting-based every day and uh, coming in for what's called feeling school, which is the first half of halfway, which is what Mars program is called. Uh, So you're just kind of showing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if I was putting a lot of uh, uh, analysis into what the heck I was doing. Uh, And pretty, you know, pretty quickly onto it, I guess there was some feeling of I'm kind of relieved. You know, this is now, you know, this is in my case, this was done. I I wasn't like I was uh, in trouble with the law. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I was facing going to jail, but I had put my job on 90 day leave of absence. I wasn't coming back for 90 days. Right. And the only way I was coming back is if I could show them I was different. Mm -hmm. So this is what the initial stages we're talking about. It's week one or two or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I better figure out, uh, because I'm still trying to fix things. I'm still in control. I better figure out just, you know, how to survive here. Yeah. And and part of me doesn't have to answer my emails or make phone calls or any of that stuff. So, so that's a relief. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So when was there a moment here at your time in a group or with a counselor or that, that kind of comes to mind um, or maybe in the community where you where it clicked that, wait, this might actually help me like this might 
actually work for me. It wasn't it wasn't probably until well into halfway through the 90 some days that I was here uh, where I started to actually have some continuity with relationships with some of the counselors, yeah. continuity with relationships and some of the community members. I had a couple move out very shortly after I moved in. Uh, uh, there was one thing that uh, for the first month or so, I didn't have a car. I didn't want a car. I didn't want any responsibility of any type. I'm from Atlanta, so I was a locally based patient. Uh, so I don't know if it was five weeks in or so I went and got my car. Mm -hmm. So when you have a car as a community member, that changes your responsibility structure a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, some people handle that better than others. It was a good thing for me, mm -hmm. uh, cause it helped me to organize what was happening and, uh, but not do so in a self-serving way. So, yeah. Yeah, so that was one thing that happened. Uh, there was one meeting where I think uh, Matt, who's one of the counselors here, not yeah. you, Matt, yeah. uh, uh, I think he was uh, having, I don't know if it was his 17th uh, annual anniversary, so he was. it was a big deal for mm -hmm. him, but he had me give out the chips uh -huh. in the meeting, so that he asked me to do that for whatever real wow. was a big deal. So, yeah, like you're part of you're part it, of this thing. Now. Yeah, I'm part yeah. of the fellowship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's part of, you know, getting an idea what what does that even mean? Yeah. What is the fellowship, you know, mm -hmm. having some feel for what that is in the MAR community in the AA community that takes quite a while to get your get your heart around to get your head around. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So that I think was a that was a toehold in mm -hmm. versus an elbow out. I'm I'm just curious what that's like being thrust into for for people coming in here being thrust into that where you have to be you know you're you're with somebody pretty much all day every day or yeah. lots of people and you know being in that setting what 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 was that like Yeah, I mean I think that is. Uh, I mean I think that's the biggest thing that actually is helpful over time, though you don't believe it when you first are thrust into it. So the residential community and living with people that are wildly different from you, uh, I think uh, the guys that were my roommates, uh, <laughs> they went across the continuum from somebody who was just as old as me and I'm nearly 57 to a 21-year-old who's the age of my son. So uh, those are wildly different perspectives, right? And and you're having to do stuff like uh, everybody go to Kroger and figure out uh, how you're going to spend 175 bucks across five people and make that work for a week. So you're kind of forced to cooperate on trivial things that uh, when you're into this uh, into this scenario where you're at your bottom. Uh, Having to cooperate on trivial things is part of the backing you into surrendering period, uh, which as an alcoholic, you don't want to do. Uh, but those parts of it is what helps you get there. And then you actually, you know, you start to appreciate people that uh, when you're in the throes of alcoholism or addiction, you don't appreciate anybody except yourself. You don't talk to anybody except yourself. So it forces you to, it forces you to see the good in people when you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And then that slowly starts to open up over time. 
uh, as your head clears. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that is kind of the, uh, that's kind of the method to the madness. Uh, and, but it's not stated, right? No one's telling you that. You, yeah. You, you kind of learn that, you know, through the ether and it's, uh, it's very subtle. And, and that's also the key part of the 90 days that if you go for the outpatient thing that I did that didn't take, you don't get any of those parts. I mm-hmm. mean, I got a lot of the theory of my alcoholism in the outpatient. I got a lot of interaction with other alcoholics. I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of the steps actually, but I didn't get the community part that backs into the fellowship part, that backs into the spiritual part, that backs into what does what's going to keep you going when you're staring in the abyss. It all kind of hangs together, all those pieces that you just laid out. It, it does, but that can't happen quickly. Yeah. But that's hard. That I mean, that's impossible to comprehend on the front end. Right. Because everything in alcoholism is quickly. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now. Yeah, and you've got these real problems, like my, my work might fire me or my, yeah. Yeah, you know. And my wife is throwing me out. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I don't have time to to try and bond with these strangers. Or, yeah, yeah, I don't want to. Right, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. What is that about Mar that 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 clicked with you, like about the environment or the spirit of Mar that, that helped you kind of? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. So uh, there are a lot of different, uh, there are a lot of different perspectives from, from the folks who are the staff at Mar, uh, from young to old, from uh, tons of experience to fresh, mm-hmm. uh, that they can help almost anybody from whatever departure point you're at. Uh, and they purposefully uh, do not try to segregate uh, the patients as you come in. Uh, so it isn't old guys are with old guys or young guys are with young guys or heroin guys are over here and alcoholics are over here. Everybody is together because everybody ultimately has the same problem. And, and that's actually, that's actually what they're trying to get you to understand is the similarities, not the differences. So, but the, the Mars staff and the people, all the support team, everybody, uh, really understands the sensitivities uh, of the people that are arriving. And they understand the sensitivities of uh, how most of them, most of them, uh, I can speak for me, most of us don't want to be helped because we've mostly given up on ourselves. And uh, so there's different ways you approach that. Some people need, you know, their handheld. Some people need a foot uh, to the rear, uh, and they can do both <laughs> at the, you know, within the yeah. same day part. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, right. you know, but you don't necessarily know what you need. Yeah. Uh, when you come in here, I didn't, uh, yeah. I mean, because you're lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you get here. You get here because you've become desperate enough to be willing to do almost anything to combat how you got here. Mm-hmm. And and nobody comes here because they want to. Yeah. I mean, it's not a volunteer deal. Anyone who says they did, I mean, let's tear that apart and see. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you're here because of the consequences of your disease. So, um, 
but the Mar the Mar staff is so uh, so experienced and have seen so many different people from different departures, and they share everything in terms of a team approach. They're not individually figuring out what we each need to do for each person. Uh, they're doing it collectively. So that doesn't mean they do everything right. That doesn't mean everything works. That doesn't mean there aren't uh, issues or conflicts, but it does mean, uh, that's the other thing about the 90 days, there is time for recovery of the recovery. Uh, if something doesn't go right, there's yeah. a chance to change what we're doing. Yeah. So uh, was, it, was that a difficult transition? You said when you came in, you didn't know what you needed. Mm -hmm. Was it was it hard to get there to the point where you could trust the staff to know that on some level they knew better than than what Ye you Yeah, you know, I don't know if I had as much of a problem with that. I, mm -hmm. I know many people do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was a, uh, uh, a self-pity hopeless alcoholic, so I, uh, as many of us are, but, uh, so I was willing to trust. I, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was willing to, uh, do what I was told to do, particularly here. Cause I felt like, geez, I got so much, I got so much time here. Uh, and I'm kind of off the hook, you know, in terms of, uh, I'm not allowed to call, you know, my office. I'm not allowed to call my wife or mm -hmm. only a couple of times a week. So, you know, you, you have to change your whole your whole paradigm of what's going on. So, mm -hmm. again, it's very structured and routinized, and that includes a lot of contact uh, with your residential manager, your primary counselor, the meetings you go to, and the stuff you do within Mars. So there's, there's multiple opportunities to dislike and then maybe fall back in like or love with the people that are helping you. So when that happens is on different timelines for different people. Right. And so what was, so you, you went through in 2015, what's life been like for you since? Well, uh, just to play the tape fairly, um, I did uh, the 90-day program at MAR, and then I uh, was in a situation with my 90-day leave of absence for my job where if I didn't go back, I would have lost my job. So I departed after 90 days. Um, my job responsibilities include travel, so I wasn't a candidate for three quarters, which is the secondary program, uh, or I might have done that because I ended up living uh, separated from for another nearly a year after I departed Mar. So we were separated for a total of nearly 15 months. Uh, and we did uh, we did third-party counseling during that whole period to work through all of that we needed to work through. So she invited me to come back home, uh, I guess, August of 16. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've been back together since, uh, and I'm still working where I was previously employed. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, not to blow a bunch of sunshine, but uh, our relationship is dramatically, if not uh, completely 100% saved uh, because we now communicate about everything when, I mean, the whole thing about alcoholism for me was secrets and living in secrecy, uh, which is what I did. And now I don't have any secrets at all, including most importantly, the secrecy of thought, <laughs> because the secrecy of thought is 
what got me in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's great. Uh, what I like to talk about with is, you know, we have been married since 1991, uh, in October of 1991. But last year we celebrated our second anniversary because it's the second anniversary since I've been clean. Mm. And so she likes that too. Yeah. So wow. that's how we look at it. Yeah. And it sounds like you still say pretty involved with Mar. I do. I mean, uh, for me, Matt, um, I have stuck very uh, close to Mar and follow a very similar weekly program when I'm here uh, that I did when I was in the halfway program. So I go to Monday Night Spiritual. I go to Tuesday Atlanta Recovering Professionals. Uh, I go to that on Saturday as well. Uh, I sponsor folks who are in halfway in Mar now. Uh, I go to meetings when I'm traveling Mm -hmm. uh, and like to send text pictures of where the room is or the building is in Nashville or wherever it might be. Uh, So, yeah, I stick close to the program. And most of my former friend base, uh, which was tied to drinking, uh, I've changed out. Mm -hmm. And they understand. Mm -hmm. It's not like like I don't... uh, it's not like I disappeared, yeah. but everything changed. Yeah, and right. It, and it kind of has to. Right, right. So last question, what would you say, like if you had to summarize to somebody who didn't know anything about Mar? I guess what I would say is, uh, and this is what I say to my sponsees, uh, are you ready? I mean, are you ready to be done with it? Uh, I mean, everybody needs help and everybody needs another voice and everybody needs another friend and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in terms of, of treatment, if you are ready to be helped, uh, doing it in the way Mar does it with the inpatient concept and the community base, uh, and the AA spiritual solution, uh, it works. And if you look at uh, across other options, they don't work so good. They just don't. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to be scared of as long as you are ready to do it. Because mm-hmm. if you're not ready, then nothing's going to help you. And that's what I tell folks that I that I work with. I mean, are you ready to be done with this? Because they will help you <laughs> and they will make it better and your life will be better. But if you're if you're not ready, then uh, keep doing some research and then come tomorrow when you are. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you'd like to be involved or give us feedback regarding the podcast, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. And if you want to stay connected with what's going on at Mar, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll see you next time.